1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound with a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, How will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit... Try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in a position of inquirer say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the Lord is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that all of you are out of your minds? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, 
God is really among you. Brilliant, thanks, Jason. Um, It's worth saying just before we get stuck in to chapter 14 that over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we're going through 1 Corinthians and we've been looking at chapters 11 to 14. And I imagine that there might be some questions that people have uh, as a result of some of these chapters. They're they're chapters that are debated, have been debated uh, for a long time by lots of different people. And it's pretty much impossible to answer all questions uh, that you're going to have in the next 25 minutes or so. And so if you do have questions, the one thing that might help is we're going to have a, a Q&A next week after the evening service uh, where we can begin to think through some of those questions together. Uh, again, we're not going to answer them all. Um, we're not going to have time to do that. But, but we can, together as a church family, wrestle and grapple with God's word. So as we go through this evening, if questions spring to mind or if they do from your life groups as you go through these chapters or um, after this evening's service, uh, do jot them down, do write them down, um, and then I'll flag up an email address that we've sort of temporarily set up uh, so that you can email in questions over the week. Uh, That'll give us time to to form some answers, uh, give a bit more thought to it, uh, for you to think through questions uh, and hopefully make next Sunday evening more helpful. I'll read out the the email address at the end just so you can jot that down and remember it. So that's the plan. Um, Let me pray as we come to chapter 14. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word. And Father, we thank you that you give us your spirit to help us understand and apply your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray this evening that you would be with us, that you would help us to understand what you have to say through the Bible. Help us to see the Lord Jesus clearly and to leave here praising his name and living for him because of what we see. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine as we begin that you and you only were in charge of planning our Sunday services. Imagine you could do what you want uh, with this time now. What would your dream service look like? What songs would you choose? How long would the sermon be? What kind of refreshments would be served at the end? What would your perfect church meeting look like? Think about it for a moment. And as you think about it, you can be fairly sure that it would be different to the people sitting either side of you. You can be even more sure that as you think about your perfect service, the the kind of service that you would love, that in God's eyes, it would probably be far from perfect. Because we keep seeing in this section of 1 Corinthians, the more that we put me at the center of church, the further we get from God's idea of what church is all about. And, unsurprisingly, it's that theme of me at the centre of church that continues in our passage today. If you can remember, a few weeks ago, uh, Ben spoke on chapter 12, and Paul there began to speak about this topic of spiritual gifts. He said that each person in the church has been given gifts by God. Those gifts are to be used for the building up of the body, uh, for the good of the church, uh, to help each other grow. 
Then in chapter 13, we heard about that key principle when it comes to those gifts, the principle of love. Without love, Paul said, it's pretty much all just a waste of time. The problem was, though, that once again, the Corinthians had taken something that was meant to be about others, spiritual gifts, and they'd made it all about themselves. They'd put me at the center of church. And so they were elevating certain gifts, a particular gift, the gift of tongues, as more important or more spiritual than others. They were insisting that tongues was a, a pro, had a prominent place in their church gatherings. And so now in chapter 14, Paul wants to continue talking about this principle of love. And he wants to show how it applies specifically to these spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy. Uh, before we go any further with what Paul wants to say, uh, I guess we need to give some sort of definition as to what those two gifts are, as those are the things he's going to be talking about. As I've just said, we can have a, a bit of a Q&A and, and, and think through how different people might define these gifts, but, but here is my stab uh, for this evening. So first, what is the gift of tongues? Well, in short, the gift of tongues is a gift in which the Spirit enables someone to speak in a different language. That might be a recognized language from another part of the world, like we see in Acts chapter 2, or it might be an unrecognizable, perhaps heavenly language, which Paul seems to call the tongues of angels at the start of chapter 13 that we looked at last week. When it comes to the Corinthians, I don't think we're talking about the same thing as Acts chapter 2. Because there, the people were speaking recognizable languages, which everyone who was listening understood what was being said. But in verse 2 of our passage of chapter 14, Paul says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him, i.e., it's an unknown language. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Uh, now that verse and other parts of our passage this evening seem to say that if someone has the gift of tongues, well then they have the ability to pray in an unintelligible language. A language which expresses their, their spirit to the Lord in a different way to normal, understandable prayer. That's the gift of tongues. As I say, we can talk more about that if you want to. But what about prophecy? What is prophecy all about? Well, I guess we can tend to think of prophecy primarily about seeing into the future. That's how people talk about it uh, around and about, isn't it? Prophecy is about seeing into the future. But when the Bible talks about prophecy, as we look at what the Bible has to say, we quickly see that future prediction is just one part of what prophecy is about. In verse 3 of our passage, Paul describes prophecy in terms of words that strengthen, encourage, and comfort other believers. And in verse 29, which we're going to come to next week, we're told to carefully weigh prophecy, suggesting that it might not always be accurate or true, and so must be tested against God's truth, against the Bible. 
I say we're going to think more about those things and more about prophecy particularly as we go through this passage. But for now, I want us to see, broadly speaking, prophecy involves speaking God's truth to people in a way that will do them spiritual good. It involves speaking God's truth to people in a way that will do them spiritual good. And the big thing that we need to see at this point is that the gift of prophecy, in contrast to the gift of tongues, involves communicating that truth in ways that people can understand. And so with those brief definitions in mind, we can hopefully see what Paul is going to say about following the way of love and what it means for using these spiritual gifts, particularly when it comes to church meetings. And the first thing that he says in chapter 14 is to desire gifts for the good of other believers. Desire gifts for the good of other believers. Look at verse one with me. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Paul's big point when it comes to church meetings is that some gifts, like prophecy, are greater than others because they edify, or verse 12, they build up others, not just yourself. So think about park run for a moment. So I know some of you here do park runs. If you don't know what park run is, it's basically where a bunch of runners get together on a Saturday morning and run five kilometers together and see how they do. It happens every Saturday morning all around the country. And there are two ways to approach a park run. Some people, probably most people, turn up on a Saturday morning looking to get their PB. They've been working hard on their Couch to 5K app, and they want to see how fast they can run five kilometers. That's most people at a park run on a Saturday morning. But then there are another group of people who do park run. These people aren't interested in their PB. They're not really that interested in what they can do. All they seem to care about is other people doing well. So they turn up every Saturday morning and they run alongside people, encouraging them, spurring them on. Some even give up their Saturday mornings simply to hand out drinks and steward so that others can have a great time and do the best, do well in the race. I hope you can see where this is going. Paul says that when we think about church, well, we should think about it like that second group. Think about park run. The Corinthians, they were all about getting their PB, spiritually speaking. They thought church was all about doing what they wanted to do, what would benefit them the most. And so they made a lot of the gift of tongues. But Paul says, no, no, you've got it all wrong, Corinthians. Church isn't about you. It's about other people. It's about loving the body, chapter 12. And if we love the body, if we love the church... Well, then he says we will eagerly desire gifts that build others up. Gifts that help others run the race. 
Of course, that doesn't mean that he's completely against the gift of tongues. Verse 4, he says, it's not wrong to desire, think, spiritual gifts that will benefit yourself. In fact, verse 5, he writes, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Tongues are good, says Paul. But his point here is that church is about serving others. Which is why he says in verse 6, If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. So you see, Paul says, tongues are great. Some Christians find it edifying to express their praise to God in that way. They're great, but they're, they're not good for the church meeting because no one understands them. And it's understanding or clarity that Paul illustrates in verses 7 to 11, if you just look there. In verse 7, he says that if, a, if musical instruments don't play a recognizable tune, then they're no good to anyone. They're just noise. And in verse 8, he says, think of an army. Think of an army ready for battle. When the trumpet sounds, it's not as though all the soldiers stand around just wondering what the noise is all about. Now, every soldier understands the trumpet blast is a clear message. It's time to fight. And so Paul's point is clarity. If something is going to be beneficial to others, they need to understand it. And so he says in verse 9, if I go around speaking unintelligible languages, well, then others aren't going to understand what I'm saying. Verse 11, it'll be like I'm speaking a foreign language. It'll be no use to anyone. And so Paul says, if you want to build others up, then they need to be able to understand what you're saying. Which means his advice to those who do have the gift of tongues in verses 13 to 18 is that when you pray or sing in public, you need to engage both your heart, your spirit, and your mind as you do so. You need to think and and put those unintelligible words into words that everyone can understand and join in with. And so you see, Paul says tongues... Tongues are great. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. But prophecy is better because it builds up the church. What does all that mean for us in CEC today? Well, first, when it comes to speaking in tongues, we need to be clear that despite what the Corinthians thought and practiced, this is not a super spiritual gift. In fact, it's not even a gift that every Christian should expect to have. Paul made that quite clear back in chapter 12, didn't he? However, it's also not a gift that we should ignore or despise. Paul is very positive about the gift of tongues. He says it can be of great benefit to believers. And so those who have that gift can be thankful for it. But he also says they should be responsible in using it. In particular, when they are with others. They should seek to turn their words into something others can understand and so benefit from. And I actually think this is a principle that can be applied a little bit more broadly to any time that we pray in church. 
But when we pray publicly, we should aim to do so in a way that is clear and understandable. We should try to avoid unnecessary jargon. So that as Paul says in verse 16, others can join in by saying amen in agreement to what's being prayed. In other words, praying in a way that others don't understand is not a loving thing to do. And so we need to work hard at being inclusive with our prayers, not exclusive. So that's tongues. What about prophecy for us today? Well, as we've seen, Paul wants us to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. We're meant to want it. Because he says it is especially good for building up the church. So the question must be, if the Apostle Paul says you should eagerly desire something, then what does it look like to do that? Well, first of all, I think it means making sure that the Bible is our foundation. Paul says elsewhere in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We know that the Bible is God's word. It is God's word, which means it carries God's authority. And so we're not free to to contradict it or, or, or chop and change it in any way. It's authoritative. And it's also sufficient. God has said everything that we need to know about salvation in the Lord Jesus and life on this earth. And so in that sense, there is no new revelation that we should expect from God. Prophecy cannot include anything new in that sense. And those two things mean that the gift of prophecy must never in any way seek to challenge or undermine the authority and centrality of the Bible. In fact, the opposite is true. Prophecy should be rooted in God's word. Our words of encouragement and comfort to each other should be rooted in and flow out of God's word to us. It's God's word, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that encourages, strengthens and comforts us in this life. And so that is the source, the foundation of any prophecy And so, if the Bible is the source, well, then I think we can think of prophecy at least as the Spirit-inspired application of God's Word into people's lives, situations, and circumstances. Prophecy is the Spirit-inspired application of God's Word into people's lives, situations, and circumstances. And so, in that sense, preaching is, can be prophetic. When the Spirit takes my words and applies them to the lives and hearts of those listening, or when someone says after the sermon, I felt as though God was speaking directly to me, to my situation, well, then I take that sermon to have been prophetic. However, I think prophecy is also wider than just preaching. So when a Christian speaks God's word insightfully into another person's life, whether that's in life group or at tots or over a cup of coffee, 
I think we can say that is prophecy. I'm sure you all know Christians who seem to have that ability, that gift of speaking God's truth in a way that seems just to, just to hit the nail on the head, to, to, to apply directly to your situation. And so does you immense good. Well, those people have the gift of prophecy. And that is something we can encourage and be thankful for. It's also something that we can pray for ourselves. That's Paul's point in this chapter, isn't it? Verse 1, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Or end of verse 12, try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. In other words, if we've taken on board everything Paul has been saying in these chapters, if we love the church and we turn up each week wanting to build each other up, then what better thing to pray for yourself than the gifts to do just that. As we arrive at church or life group and we're faced with a bunch of people that need our love and encouragement to keep on living for Christ, we can pray, Spirit, would you give me the gift to be able to speak your truth to other people for their good? And then having prayed that prayer or or something like it, we can do that initially awkward thing but hugely encouraging thing of actually speaking to each other about Christ. Actually speaking to each other about the gospel and all the wonderful truths and promises that we find in God's word. Wouldn't that be a great thing to pray and do as you come to church each week? To ask the Spirit to help you speak God's truth into the lives of those brothers and sisters that you'll see. So Paul says, desire the gifts that are good for others, good for other believers. But he doesn't stop there. Paul the evangelist always has an eye on those that don't yet know Christ. And so he says you should desire gifts that will help others to hear and respond to the gospel. And that's our second, slightly shorter point. Desire gifts for the good of unbelievers. Verse 20, we get another stinging rebuke to the Corinthians who thought they were super spiritual, super mature believers. Verse 20, Paul says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Paul looks at the Corinthians and their use of spiritual gifts, the way they're elevating tongues as a sign of super spirituality. And he says, you're so childish, Corinthians. Far from being a sign of spirituality or God's special blessing, your use of tongues is a sign of your immaturity, your childishness. It's a sign that you're only thinking about yourself and not other people who might have arrived at church on a Sunday morning. So verse 21, In the law it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners... I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. These verses seem contradictory at first, and they're quite complicated to work through. But by quoting Isaiah 28, that's the passage that Paul quotes just there, Paul is telling the Corinthians that, Well, that their speaking in tongues 
isn't necessarily a good thing. You see, in Isaiah's day, if people heard, if God's people heard uh, foreign languages, well, it probably meant they'd been invaded by another nation. It would be a bit like if you, if everybody heard uh, people speaking German on the streets of London in the 1940s. It wouldn't be a good sign. And so for Isaiah, hearing foreign languages, that wasn't a good thing. It was a sign of God's judgment on unbelief. And so Paul says it would be equally not good for an unbeliever to walk into church and just hear a load of unintelligible words. Why? Verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? If an unbeliever walks into church and hears everyone speaking in tongues at once, they might just think we're all nuts, uh, walk straight out of the door, and so not get the chance to hear the gospel that they so desperately need. They remain under God's judgment. Tongues, unintelligible words, is not a good thing for them, Paul says. And so once again, Paul is saying tongues are not good for church meetings. They're not good for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, has a different effect. Verse 24. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Paul's point is just the same as earlier on. Prophecy is better because it's understandable. As we've already seen, it involves communicating God's truth to people in a clear and understandable way. And it's as God's truth is spoken that the Spirit works in people's hearts, convicting them of their sin and opening their eyes to who God is and their need to worship him alone. Paul says when it comes to unbelievers, tongues can lead to confusion, whereas prophecy can lead to conversion. And again, I think we can make some wider application here. We've thought a lot, haven't we, about how church isn't just about me. It's about us. It's about the family, the body, about those who know and love Christ, about serving each other. But here Paul also seems to say that we mustn't think so much about us that we forget those on the outside, those that don't yet know Christ. And so as we seek to build each other up, well, we've got to be careful not to create unnecessary obstacles to unbelievers hearing and responding to the gospel. Again, that might mean avoiding using too much Christian jargon when we're up the front leading or praying. It might mean not making too many assumptions when we come to church on Sunday, not expecting that everyone just knows how things work around here. At the very least, it will mean coming to church conscious of the fact that there will be people who aren't yet Christians here with us. And so going out of our way to make it as easy as possible 
for them to hear the good news about Christ. And so you see, Paul says we have a good and gracious God who delights to give his people gifts. But those gifts are for the good of the body. They're given to help us grow together as a church. And they are given so that others might hear about the Lord Jesus, trust in him, and so be included in that body as one of God's people. Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially those that do good to others. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are so good to us. Father, thank you that you give us gifts for the building up of the body. Father, would you please forgive us for the times when we make the things that you give us about ourselves, when we try to be the centre of our lives and of our life, our church life together. Father, would your spirit change us to make us more like the Lord Jesus, to seek out the needs of others, to give ourselves for them, and to use all that we have, all that we are, all that's been given to us by you for the good of others, so they might grow in their knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us do that today and into this week. In Jesus' name, amen.